Token Smart Podcast, another special episode, a special, special episode. We got a packed house with us tonight, and I'm honored to be here with basically the entire nucleus of the Super Rare team. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring them onto the podcast is because it's it's a family business, which I didn't even realize until I had talked to John in uh, NYC at NFT NYC. And that's really interesting to me personally, because I feel like family businesses are like the unicorn of the small business world. They tend to either do really well or uh, not so well. And clearly these guys know what they're doing, or at least are putting on a great show for everybody. So super stoked to have these guys here. Uh, We'd like to welcome Charles Crane, John Crane, and John Perkins all sitting here with me today. So Thank you guys. I appreciate you coordinating the schedules and uh, popping in here with me so I can dive into uh, mustache philosophy and waxing procedures with John and see what you guys think about his, uh, his upgrades. <laughs> Perfect, man. <laughs> uh, always happy to, to do a deep dive into the subject. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Rizal, stoked to be here. Thanks for having us on, man. Yeah. Rizal, appreciate it. I think this is gonna be a fun one. Yeah, dude. All right. Thank you guys. Um, we can seriously get into the mustache because I did catch a glimpse of it, uh, when we just started on here, but maybe that's not like the most appropriate way to totally start this out. Um, <laughs> I wanted to honestly get into the family business. Cause I, the first thing I think of when I think of family businesses is I, I think of like, I, I knew a family who did like a farm stand slash farm type of thing. Like a donut uh, shop or something like that. Yeah, man. When, when I was a kid <laughs> and, and these people just crushed it, right? Like they, I felt like they could read each other's minds. We were like sort of friends with the, friends of the family and everything. So I knew them. And I, I also always think of like how LeBron James sort of like dove into his empire because he didn't necessarily bring all his family aboard but he sort of did because he recruited all of his childhood friends basically to learn the skills that he knew he was going to eventually have to hire out people to learn or or to do for him Uh, but he preferred to go with people that he trusted and you know he felt like were family to him so so it's an interesting dynamic. So that, that's why I was really curious to have you guys in and sort of like dive into the background. I, I would really love to hear the story or at least like some of your guys' take on like the moment it's sort of congealed, like, you know, the, the dude dropped the acid into Charles's beer and he started like prophesizing. And then, you know, John and John were like, oh my God, he's got it. Let's, you know, make this happen. Have you already heard the story? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, all the, all, by the time the acid wore off, like all the coding was already done for the first prototype. So it was pretty amazing. Dude, yeah, I just basically went on vacation at that point. <laughs> yeah. So, so what? What was? Uh, what happened? How did it all come together? And and is this was this like a pie in the sky thing, like a long time ago that you were just able to put into action, or was it like as soon as you came up with the idea, you were like, yeah, got it. This is it. Well, I think like just even like you go in kind of further back, like we, we kind of been all like, you know, we really wanted to build something since, you know, like for, I don't know, probably like a decade, I think like uh, John and I were catching up this morning and we were talking like, I all of a sudden remembered like, like the first domain I ever bought was for uh, skate flick. So we were going to build like a, I was super into, this is like, I was like 18. So we we're like, 
I was super into skateboarding at the time and was like, oh, you know, we could build a website around this, we'll like have all the coolest skateboard videos. It's going to be awesome. Uh, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is probably like the first project that John and I collaborated on. <clears throat> um, because when we were like kind of early in college and um, John and Charlie are my cousins, by the way, for those who don't know. And uh, John and I both went to college in San Francisco. And yeah, so Skateflick was going to be a platform that tied cool skate videos to geographic locations that you could like, so kind of like Google Earth style where you could like pick a location and kind of zoom in uh, to a city and like go to the actual skate spot and like see uh, skate videos for that location. So John and I worked on it for a while. Neither one of us really knew how to code or anything at the time, but kind of uh, this project. And then uh, after that, yeah, we, we collaborated on, on a few different kind of side projects throughout our, our working career um, as we, as we uh, uh, increasingly kind of got toward, toward the crypto and Ethereum space. And then, yeah, like, you know, fast forward to like being into Ethereum and Bitcoin, like, you know, getting involved in crypto. I was like, you know, I had been talking to Perkins a lot about, is, I think it was like 2017, like the most used application was Ether Delta. So it was like, like a DEX, you know, it was kind of like, you know, shout out to Ether Delta. They like, you know, they built like one of the first working DApps in Ethereum. But, you know, kind of what had drawn me into Web3 was like, you know, building, using Web3 as a tool kind of to help creatives and build, you know, more interesting kind of web experiences. Like we had been talking about how like with things like YouTube and Instagram, it's sort of like, you know, the platform itself captures most of the value and like, you know, the creators on those platforms, they get distribution, but like the sort of like the revenue share, with, like with ads that they run, you know, YouTube's really the one profiting the most. And so we were trying to think about like, what could we build that would, you know, really make a difference and like have positive impact kind of on people's lives. So with that in the back of our minds, you know, we kind of saw what was happening, uh, you know, with, and like, and then at the same time, kind of being really excited about projects like Rare Pepe's Pioneer and like CryptoPunks and being just super stoked seeing people do creative things aren't finance. I think, you know, that wasn't really what drew us in. To be clear, basically John saw this stuff coming. I remember uh, like sitting down at a bar uh, at some point in uh, in Brooklyn uh, one day that summer, and John was just like, "Dude, like Pepe Cash and CryptoPunks and like uh, all these other sort of like game items and stuff that were happening on on the on the Bitcoin blockchain, actually, like with with colored coins." And I was just like had a lot to catch up on and I didn't know what the hell I was talking about at first, but uh, like, not, you know, the early days of kind of like non-fungible uh, assets on, on chain. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where the seed sparked. And then uh, I kind of like did a lot of homework and, and figured out what the hell he was talking about over the next few weeks. So while this is going on, is is Charles over there sitting there like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Or is he like right there with you the whole time? Like, hell yeah, what you guys are just catching up to me? Or or how how does he fit in? <laughs> well, I was um I was living in New York at the time with them, so I was often having beers with them while John was ranting about this stuff. But um I guess I was way more technically interested in Ethereum. Like my background was computer engineering and the draw was to like build cool 
distributed systems. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, man, I could see, you know, you could change the the model of like, you know, YouTube just is farming our data and making money off of that. But like, I could see the value that John was proposing, but I guess I was more like drinking my beer, like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm actually working on this cool Haskell library. So I'll, let me tell you about that. And they would probably just tell me to be quiet and get back to <laughs> what else What else to talk about. John was growing the, the mustache, Charlie was growing the neck beard. So Charles, man, what, what was the moment that the light bulb went on for you? Like, what, was there, you know, you're sitting there drinking your beer, like, I, you know, I'm like you, man. I, I feel like I hear like a million different like ideas a day and I'm like, yeah, cool. And sit my beer and, you know, we'll see if I remember them the next day. And, and some of them stick, obviously. Uh, so what, what was the moment for you, man? Well, the like the whole craze with CryptoKitties was pretty validating for a lot of what John was saying. I was like, wow, people really do think these like digital asset, like unique digital assets that are, you know, not necessarily like, like I found Bitcoin and Ethereum like inherently valuable because it's like, oh, you can do payments like anywhere in the world. That's like an inherent new thing that their inherent value in this system. Uh, but I, you know, like I said, I was a little skeptical about the like, other things, but with the success of CryptoPunks and CryptoKitties and stuff, it was like, oh wow, yeah, you can now associate like a, or you can now have this unique digital object on chain. And I think I was probably I was in Costa Rica. I was like catching up with John a lot. I was traveling, doing a surf trip in Costa Rica, and um, was just like, oh wow, so this is like you can have true ownership and kind of like, I guess, provenance or just like you can register that you're the, that you created this unique object. Like, I mean, John was already saying this stuff, but like that was the thing I think that I resonated with that you can kind of be registered as the like true creator of an object, which I thought was like, that's mind blowing. Cause it's like, you create a cool meme. Somebody's going to repost that thing on Reddit if it's cool. And they're going to probably get way more of the upvotes and stuff. So it's like, ah, I can totally now provably show you that I was the person who did it. So I think that was the big aha moment. It's like a, it's like an instant history archive for the internet. Yeah. Internet items. Oh yeah. I, I mean, yeah, you guys are preaching to the choir. I mean, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm like way deep in this rabbit hole with you guys. Um, and, and so, well, Again, I got to assume there's some point where you guys, okay, so you launched Super Rare. I, there must be, I assume you guys are all like full time or as full time as you want to be at this point and have yeah, so, other people helping you out. Yeah. So um, the way it kind of went, went down is uh, John had um, left a, an employer, I think in fall 2017 and really started banging out um, like the earliest prototype of what would become super rare um, during that time. And through the months, I believe Charles and I stayed uh, working until the spring. Um, and then when we, we basically all jumped ship and like had, you know, kind of cobbled this, this prototype together with like Charles and I like jumping in on weekends, like at, at coffee shops and stuff. And then, yeah, I think by March, April, we were all full time on it. This is 2018, and then uh, Super Rare hit Ethereum mainnet. Uh, I think April 5th, 2018. Did um, you guys anticipate things ramping up as quickly, or more quickly, or or less quickly, or uh, you know, 2018 is only two years ago, as, as we all know. That's like a lifetime in in crypto world. And you guys, what just passed the million dollar sales mark? Is that correct? 
Yeah, so million dollars uh, earned by artists. So like, yeah. It's incredible. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's like, um, I was talking to someone actually yesterday and they were like, what do you, you know, why are you, what makes you the most excited? And I was just like, I think that, you know, the fact that it's working and like, you know, like we're significantly helping creatives around the world make money using these tools on the internet. Like that's, you know, it's kind of like, it felt like a super pie in the sky idea. And the fact that it you know, seems to be working is just like, I'm still a little bit in awe sometimes. I'm like, holy shit, this is, this is awesome. Yeah. It was hard to know exactly like what to think in the beginning. I mean, we had, we had pretty high conviction and decided that, uh, I mean, there was a few different kind of like major like sources of inspiration. Um, one was like John said to, to really like create this new economy, this new income stream for, uh, for artists, uh, for, for people on the internet. Uh, another was really like to make a, a simple and fun and user-friendly uh, app on Ethereum. Like a lot of the stuff uh, at the time was was really more about you know kind of speculation or shilling or, or whatever. So we saw an opportunity to, to do something really cool in that space, and we were like, you know, we think this like single edition artwork where you know it's like kind of a social network, but where everything is this is this ownable asset, and there can be this kind of free market dynamic. We thought this was super interesting. Most people in the industry and investors and uh, other people we talked to were kind of like, "Ah, oh, you guys are you guys are too dumb. Like, it's obviously going to be about gaming. Like, you should be doing something with gaming uh, or <laughs> insurance too. Like, yeah. the first year, no one really cared, and like a ton of people were like, "Oh, you're doing NFTs. You should get into insurance." And I was like, "What the fuck? Get into insurance? It sounds horrible. Like, what are you talking about?" You know, I was wondering, because we just had a conversation with DCL Blogger, who I feel like shares uh, myself and Matthew's same plight, in, or actually not Matthew, he's in South Korea and has an easier time with us, um, with this, but him and I share the same plight in terms of having an incredibly difficult time explaining to people what the hell we do and what is going on in this space. And I feel like being able to say like artists have made a million dollars off of your platform lends a lot of lends a lot of credibility to what you guys are doing and what you guys have accomplished. You know, for for better or for worse, money talks and when people see a nice round figure like that, it, it raises some eyebrows and and we certainly need stuff like that. But you just touched on it a second ago. I bet there's like a lot of people along the way who are like, this is a fucking stupid idea. What the hell are you guys doing? This makes no sense. And, uh, you know, obviously you didn't pay any attention or like had strong convictions in your concept, you know, enough to not, not go the insurance route or, or whatever. But how much of that do you guys still get? I mean, even being like, you know, some of the biggest names in the space, if not, you know, the biggest name in the NFT space, uh, do you still get people sort of like, uh, you know, I don't know what, like Bitcoin snobs or something, or like people uh, who think you still have no idea what you're doing, or are people starting to buy into this concept now? So I, it's even funny, sometimes like people outside of crypto can like understand a little easier than people inside crypto. Like I think a lot of people love sort of the intellectual Olympics and they love these super complicated systems with lots of game theory and like, you know, there's a lot of posturing that happens. And so the fact that like, you know, we've like made a concerted effort to try to keep things as simple as possible. And so people are like, Oh, that's, it's so easy to understand that it's, you know, how could it work? Or, you know, so like, 
Um, there's definitely some of that, which is, you know, always kind of funny. Um, but I think you now people are starting to pay attention and see like, you know, see the value. Um, but I am surprised sometimes, you know, people who are like, you know, super into Bitcoin and DeFi, you know, like people who are like, oh yeah, I can see how Bitcoin would be valuable, but like, I don't see how this art can be valuable. And you're like, to me, I don't understand how, you know, they have trouble understanding that, but um, it's definitely I, less than before. I will say, yeah, it's definitely gotten easier um, just to kind of point to the, um, you know, the past two years and like the success uh, in the marketplace. Cause like, you know, in, in the very, very beginning we launched this thing and we were like, look guys, like it's possible now. Like we made it possible for people to collect uh, the, this tokenized art. And so a lot of people are like, oh great. Like do people do that? <laughs> or like, no, but it's possible, <laughs> you know? And that's a harder, that's like a harder thing. Uh, to get through to people's minds and be like, yeah, so we have this marketplace where, where um, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a month of digital art is being sold and collected and transacted, and it's this wild market that's really real. And people are like, huh, well, well, I'll be darned. Like, I don't really understand the contemporary art market, and just like that, I don't understand this, but it looks like you guys are doing cool stuff, you know? <laughs> so exactly. kind of along the way, it got, it got easier. I assume, like, you know, you guys are blazing new trails and everything and, and have been for a while. And, you know, there's got to be stuff that comes up. And uh, again, going back to like the sort of family business dynamic, I mean, how do you guys, do you guys all sort of have your knowledge base or like area of expertise that you each like sort of defer to? Or does like John come in and like lower the boom sometimes when like important decisions need to be made? Or like how, how does like, you know, when, you know, shit hits the fan or like things need to get done and you need to, you know, pick a direction. Like how does that go down behind the scenes? Um, yeah, good question. So, um, I mean, it's it's particularly relevant now. We're, uh, we're growing the team or we're hiring a few people. And so, I mean, in the beginning it was quite collaborative with a, you know, a small team of three or four people. Um, it's, it's really easy to have tight communication and you're all kind of aware of the stuff that's happening with the product and the community and stuff. But um, as we as we're growing, having to you know add a little bit more more structure into it. Um, and but yeah, I mean uh, like high level. Um, Charles is the CTO, so he's the really um, like all all three of us uh, really built the the technical part of Superair. All three of us are coders. Um, Charles has like the the real background in, in blockchain um, and like sort of systems engineering, and John and I did more of the like front end uh, product stuff. And then now as we're further along, John John does a lot more like strategy and, and partnerships and just general CEOing. And I I wear mostly a, a product hat. Um, and then but yeah, I, I think like decisions are made like we each like, like we pretty much each have our own uh, specialty like. Like break down, breaks down like that, pretty much. What are your guys' like normal days like? And I don't know, maybe we could just sort of like go around the horn here. Like, is it still sort of like at the point where you know, like, you know, if Charles dips offline around one o'clock, you know he's like definitely walking his dog, and we'll be back in forty minutes, so you can like hit him up on Discord. Or you guys pretty much off on your own islands, like autonomously doing your own thing and just you know checking, touching base. Or how, how's like a regular day or week play out? Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty tight communication loops. So we're using a lot of the, 
more like company stuff we're talking about in Slack, but you know, kind of the same as Discord. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, like we are, I mean, we were remote before uh, all the COVID stuff happened. So it wasn't really like a change of like day to day, but uh, usually have like a morning check-in and then, yeah, it's pretty much just constant communication of, throughout the day. Um, I'd say we generally kind of know it's still small enough where you kind of like know what everybody's working on. Yeah. A lot of like touch and base, like back and forth sometimes. Like if you have a problem, like, <clears throat> like JP said earlier that I'm doing a lot of just technical work, but I occasionally have to do like, all right, we have this spec for a product and it's getting built out. But then I realized I needed to know something. It's pretty easy. I can just like directly go hit him up and we have, specific hours that you expect someone to be around but if you need to leave you just let everybody know you know it's pretty relatively casual i'd say and has been working well so far charles takes short breaks between surfing sessions to uh do database <laughs> migration and then pedals back out and taking the website up you know <laughs> nice man. yeah I mean, yeah go ahead john oh yeah no uh yeah i was, I was just gonna more or less echo what they said uh we are, yeah, we're, we're kind of scattered around, um, all around North America, and we are starting to hire more internationally. But um, in my opinion, working on a remote team, time zones are kind of one of the most important things, or one of the biggest challenges you can run into is like a really, you know, a wide time zone spread. So even in, in hiring, we're choosing areas, um, you know, kind of like with, with similar time zones to the states. So we, we more or less keep. Uh, you know, East Coast, West Coast hours. Don't want to stray yeah. too far. One of the biggest improvements uh, was definitely moving stand up from 10 a.m. East Coast to 11 because the seven o'clock uh, meeting for <laughs> me and Charles is pretty, pretty rough. Uh, yeah, it's doable. I think we did it for like a year, basically, for the 7 a.m. wake up or you know, stand up till we decided it'd be nice to push it back a little bit. Quality of life got a lot better after that. Yeah. Change. <laughs> no, man. I mean, we're all like sort of in the same boat. I, I mean, you know, I'm doing the work from work remotely thing and in constant communication with the team throughout the day. And for one reason or another, all my people are spread out all over the world. So, and, and it is, man, the, the time zone math challenge in itself is, is a daily pain in the ass. Um, and in some ways, Honestly, I feel like it's a good thing. There are some benefits because you almost have like a squad of people working the night shift, which is kind of cool because stuff gets done while you're sleeping. But at the same time, I find myself like, uh, you know, doing stuff early in the morning because that's, you know, a company, some people's time zones and then doing stuff in the evening because the other side of the world is waking up there. So I'm like, where is my time? Like, I guess somewhere in the middle and I try and like squeeze it in on the weekends. I, I mean, how... How do you guys sort of like balance uh, or 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 lack balance or, you know, how do you manage it? Were you guys always working from home before this or is this like a, a big transition? When we were in Brooklyn, we had like a co-working space. We were all working out of, but then we were like kind of slowly left New York. And so we've been pretty much working remotely from home for, I don't know, like about the past year. Yeah, I've, I've always had a co-working space and preferred it. And when COVID hit, I had to move into the spare bedroom of my apartment, which uh, initially sucked, but I've, I've really kind of gotten used to it. 
got my standing desk set up here closer to you know getting food out of the fridge it's 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 not so bad after all <laughs> i've always been pretty into working remotely because of the like flexibility with being able to go surf when the waves are good so but that's nice. Just... Where are you located? You, so the, the surfing is not just them poking fun at you. You are actually surfing. In the <laughs> Cody. <right>? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm down. I'm out in San Diego. Oh, nice. Yeah. For the COVID thing, I, I ended up moving back in with my parents because they have a pretty solid um, plot of land out here. So I set up a pretty dope um, office space in my old bedroom, my old childhood home, which is kind of epic. Nice, man. That's cool. So you, so you got John and John, you guys are both on the East Coast or where are you guys at? No, I, I'm also uh, out west, but Perkins is still on the East Coast. Gotcha. Okay, so you guys little – so are you three, like, the main nucleus of the team, like I had mentioned earlier, or, or did you pull in, like, a rogue, like, non-family member in <laughs> – Yeah, we, we, we tried hard to resist it, but, you know, there are people on, on the Super O team that uh, – yeah. Um, yeah, so we hired Zach in fall of 2018, and – Zach uh, heads up like marketing and, and community initiatives. And then we brought on Anne um, about five months ago or so. And she's, uh, she's head of like curatorial and editorial stuff. Um, and, and then we're in the process of uh, hiring a couple more folks. Um, and yeah, they're also, uh, Anne's based in, Anne and Zach are also East Coasters. So we're, Team East Coast is, is currently winning. <laughs> gotcha uh so do you guys ever get like i mean being that you guys are all from the same family and i don't mean to like pry too deeply or anything but do you ever get like uh, you know uncle roy being like yo what's up guys i got marketing skills why don't you bring me on or is like everyone pretty much know you guys are the experts in what you do or, or do you run into situations where like people are trying to glom on like even like friends or people you relate with yeah i was looking for uncle roy <laughs> yeah, he's a force to be reckoned with. Um, I, say, I say it's more so trying to explain what the fuck we do to members. Yeah. <laughs> do they get it? Or has, has have any of them been like full converts? Or are they like, okay, you guys are cool doing your like techie stuff, and uh, you know, we'll see you at Thanksgiving. No, yeah, definitely. I, it's a mix. You know, there's it's the whole spectrum. So people who still have no idea. Well, you know, they're like, they don't actually have jobs, like they don't do anything. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, my, I guess, I don't know, I guess he's like our cousin-in-law, but like, you know, one person like fully embraced it, was an artist and is actually him and his mom are now like an artist duo on Super Air and, you know, totally get the space and have, you know, drank more than one glass of the Kool-Aid. Um, so it's, it's definitely a spectrum. Nice. Is there any, like, looking back, what'd you say you started out 2017 or was it 2018 that you guys actually launched? We launched, ago? we started late 2017 and then actually launched the, launched the app in uh, early 2018. Okay. So, I mean, if you look back like two and a half years, almost three years, I guess, you know, let, let's say like you got like a net, net, the Netflix super air documentary is coming out. If you look back, are there like any big like missteps or like ideas that like sounded really good, but then like, you know, you sort of fell flat or like face planted or I mean, has it been like a series of, of hits one after another or, you know, how, how does it look in retrospect? There's yeah. And, you know, we probably you know, made every mistake that you could possibly make trying to start something like this. Um, I think one of the big ones is like early on, we were like, 
should we have a telegram group? Should we not? Like, and we kind of, we were so focused on like trying to build something that we didn't end up having kind of, you know, like good community, you know, set up early on. So I think that probably would have been a big help to like from day one have, you know, that like, it's so awesome having telegram and discord because you just get instant feedback on everything you do, which is like, I think, you know, it's like invaluable. It's so awesome. Yeah. I think so, what was it? It was yeah. like four or five months in or something when we, yeah. So uh, that was just of a telegram and people were like, wait, you didn't have one before. <laughs> yeah. That was definitely our, probably one of our most horrible ideas is not having that telegram right away. <laughs> so, so, I mean, as far as like, you know, with the technical end of things and like how the site is structured and I'm not fishing for anything. I mean, it seems like, you know, from, I, I sort of got into the scene late, like, 2018 i've been in the crypto scene for a very long time but didn't really get into like nfts and uh, sort of like I, I don't know unconsciously hated on ethereum for a while I, I just never really dove into it so saying that to say like as far as when i got on the scene you guys were like crushing it and basically have been like ever since then uh was there anything from like a technical end of things or like a working with the artist things that was more difficult than anticipated or has everyone pretty much like, I mean, I guess there's always some like, you know, negative feedback with anything you do, but have people generally been pretty supportive of like all the moves you guys have made? Or? There's, I mean, one of the big challenges, I mean, it's also like the most exciting part about the space, I think, but it's just like trying to like see the dense fog of the future, like how the space is going to unfold. And, you know, like I said, in the very early days, uh, there were like some people um, advising us, like we went through this incubator in, uh, in the early days and, um, you know, some folks were like, well, I'm not so sure about this art market thing. Like, what if you guys like abstracted the technology out and tried to make more of like a, like a, a SaaS business out of it or something? Um, so we, we like spent a while kind of hedging our bets. Like we were, we were running super rare. Um, but only kind of giving it like 50% uh, energy and then also like really, you know, prototyped out this whole other um, like platform that like enabled essentially people just like spin up their own NFT marketplaces really quick and like really cheap. Um, and then in hindsight, that was just, uh, I mean, it's cool. Like people uh, still like use it, it's out there, but what really like, like there's this like, kind of burning like white hot center of activity at super rare it's the you know it's the community it's the daily activity it's the um you know just the the passion of the artists and the the coolness of it and the you know just like there's this magnetic uh, sort of force around super rare that we've always felt um but there's always this you know as a founder uh or as you know as a entrepreneur that's like trying to survive and do something that's uh, that's not going to die uh, in the near term. You're always like, we are wondering if you're hitting it on the mark. And so, yeah, in, in hindsight, um, we really, really should have just uh, focused, you know, a thousand percent uh, on the original uh, thing rather than, you know, kind of like hedging a little bit and, and working on, on prototypes of like the, you know, spreading out the underlying technology. Yeah, don't don't listen to the naysayers. I think it was like we <laughs> yeah. all loved Super Rare way more and like loved working on it. But then you're like, people are like, well, more logically, I think you should do this. And you're like, so it's like you gotta. I think that's like been a big lesson is like just be careful who you're like listening to advice from. 
um, you know, because like every situation's unique and yeah, follow follow your heart. Don't listen to naysayers, and do work on the, what you think is the coolest thing. That's my advice to to founders in the space. <laughs> yeah, just to like get my there was like a tangible change when we switched back to like really focusing on super rare, like as a team. It was like okay, this is the like you know we're we're putting like we're gonna still run this other project, but you know we're stopping development. All of our creative flow is going into super rare, and I felt like pretty quickly we we started feeling like tangible effects of our focus uh, driving down. So that was you know just to reiterate kind of what they were saying. It it was a pretty big change once we switched back. And yeah, I mean like energy, creativity, momentum. Like there's all these things in uh you know in a company or if you've ever been in like a band or something like that like having the alignment and the momentum and the energy like all focusing on one thing is really what what creates success and creates uh the kind of like magic moments and so that yeah really like kind of learned the lesson there and that's that's really like the most feel like one of the most important things when working collaboratively on something i think no, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm honestly like identifying with a lot of what you guys are saying because I feel like we're going through this very similar thing with the whip right now where it's, it's expanding very rapidly and we got a lot of people giving us a lot of advice, but at the end of the day, like our core group of people are really the people with the most expertise in what we're doing. And regardless of what everyone else is saying, we've had the most success by trusting our own gut and listening to ourselves and continue to push the space forward. And, and it's continuing to gain momentum and, and, you know, hopefully, you know, at a similar point where you guys are a couple of years down the line, do you have like go-to people that you seek advice from at this point? Or do you guys, I mean, you're sort of not on your own Island, but you are again, like sort of paving the way and the most, knowledgeable people about what you're specifically doing do you have like a couple of like go-to advisors or are you your own best friends so to speak mm, yeah i think like i mean i don't know it's been interesting like i feel like you know i mean we definitely chat all the time between ourselves but also like it's been so helpful we're like you know like oh this is a big decision like what should we do and we're like well there's this like you know we now have people who we've been friends with through super rare for over two years. So it's, it's like incredible to be able, you know, to be like, Hey, Hackatow, like, you know, wh what do you think about this? We're like, you know, like there's just like, you know, people who've kind of been on this whole journey with us. And so, you know, honestly, I think like just the, the community that's kind of grown around super rare is probably one of our, one of our best advisors, which has been like, kind of like, I mean, we probably also could have like realized that sooner where it's like, it's so helpful to just like bounce ideas off of people and you know yeah we'll kind of do a lot of like like prototype a quick idea and and shoot it out to a half dozen people in the community and get get feedback on it and uh that sort of thing yeah man I, you can't say enough about the nft community man right i mean we do the the same thing as well and definitely they're so so supportive and like enthusiastic about all the stuff that's going on and you know we're all in the same fishbowl here and and you know we pull people like Hackatow and whenever we're making any decisions for anything so uh having that as a resource and such like an enthusiastic participatory resource is 
probably been our biggest uh, source of information as well. So yeah, it's, it's hard. I, I almost wish in some ways there was some like overlord that could be like, you know, this is the right way to go about this. But at the same time, when you're, you know, in uncharted territory, that's like almost just as exciting, if not more when, uh, you know, you're paving the way yourself. So let's say super rare, like 100 X's, you know, over the course of a, a couple months, which, which is really not, I mean, I'm sure you guys have thought about this before, right? It's not like totally unfathomable. If some like wild shit happens, like 2017, you guys could be in like, you know, have like a very fortuitous problem on your hands that, you know, probably requires some forethought to not like totally fuck up if like, you know, shit really ramps up on you guys. Uh, have you thought about that? Like, is would you just like, you know, at that point, is the plan just to like dump and run, make your millions and hit the beach? Or like what, what happens when uh, the rocket takes off? Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> the plan's definitely not. I mean, we're already hitting the beach. So it's, you know, oh, right, get, getting the surf in. I'm just getting up. Uh, uh, I think like there part of what gets me so excited about like just NFTs in general is like, I see it as a way to really, you know, like obviously it's working within the arts. Like I think there's an opportunity to just get lots of people excited. I think like, you know, we're kind of already seeing it. It's like, there's people who I'm friends with who started collecting art on super air and like, you know, other people in the community who are like, this is amazing. Like I've never like really considered myself like somebody who could even collect art. And so like, kind of opening their eyes and like I just see it as like there's such a big opportunity to get people excited about you know creativity and like you know you just kind of I was talking to somebody yesterday who I like somebody who uses super rare reached out to me on LinkedIn we just had a conversation and we were talking about how like you know art is like it's like somewhat spiritual right like you go to the museum you walk around and you like if you sit in front of a Rothko or something like you know, it's hard to say you don't feel a little bit different later. And so like, I think there's just like a huge opportunity to get people really excited about art and creativity through, through what we're building. And so like, you know, our like grand vision is to really, we're like, we're in it for the long haul. And like, I think it's just like, are so excited about the opportunity to kind of like, to really grow, you know, grow the, the community of people who are excited about art. Let me, let me run a scenario by let, let's say like like a like a big ass whale comes in like a bitcoin whale or something and just clears you guys out right buys buys the store and you know two months down the line you got artists who you know basically can't crank it out fast enough or, or something like that um which again is not like totally outside of the realm of you know 2017 like possibilities especially if the world wakes up to the nft space and uh, you know, obviously you guys got auctions going on. So this is somewhat of like a preposterous scenario, but there at some point, it's not totally outside the realm of thought that uh, you're the demand is greater than the supply. Uh, does your shit just get more and more exclusive at that point? Or do you try and bring in like a horde of people in order to meet the demand? Or, or do you guys just sort of stay in your lane and stick with exactly what you've been doing and let the sort of chips fall where they may? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I think there's certainly space uh, for, 
the model to evolve you you know I, I think you're referring to like the there's sort of this like extreme scarcity around super rare like everything's like single edition uh, and we also have you know an application process to join super rare that's um, that's pretty low uh, or I mean it's a, like a pretty high bar a pretty low um, percentage of of applicants are currently being admitted because we're trying to grow the community and, and the marketplace kind of like thoughtfully and um, you know maintain the culture and, and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, I mean, I think like you know we're all kind of expecting shit to get more wild, <laughs> more wild at some point. I think even it doesn't wouldn't even need to be uh, some crazy like Bitcoin whale. I just I even think like some black swan event could be driven just from um, you know like one or two celebrity collectors all, all of a sudden like realizing uh, about super like you know say like Leonardo DiCaprio or somebody they're probably like somebody younger more for the digital generation that it's not on our radar right now but anyway somebody like that with a massive following all of a sudden like blows our shit up yeah we're certainly gonna have technical challenges support challenges and product challenges to figure out um, but uh, I yeah like John said we're, we're really in this for the long haul we, we are scoping out these these things and uh, you know I I can't say exactly like what it would look like uh, because we don't we don't for sure know but um, you know you look at uh, or I've, I've listened to interviews like you know like with like Eric Voorhees who was running shapeshift during the the uh, crypto exchange during 2017 and I think he he said they had to like 10x their support team uh, <laughs> during those wild months, uh, just because of the the, the insanity and the, the influx. So you know, mentally prepared uh, to to do stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it'd be a great problem to have. I, I mean, it's no secret I'm super bullish on the entire NFT space in general, and I I feel like that time is like you know almost inevitable whether it's like a slow build up or like a you know sudden rush or, or something um you know it has yet to be seen but uh, i guess we all feel like that otherwise we wouldn't be sitting here right now <laughs> yeah um yo do you guys uh want to plug anything coming up with super rare do you have like a like a short-term roadmap or you want to tease out or anything you want to throw out there for people who are listening to us right now um i got a few um, yeah, so if you guys haven't heard already, we recently launched the Super Rare Editorial. Um, so that's editorial.superrare.co. And that's, um, you know, the, the point of that is it's, it's open for submissions. If you're in the space, if you're an artist, a collector, a curator, you can uh, submit articles there, videos, other content, and uh, new really, really cool stuff is coming out every day. Um, so you can kind of read up on interviews with the artists, see what is kind of going on in the marketplace, more summaries of, of just kind of all the activity around the space. So the, the inspiration for that was really to do a better job of telling the story. Like if you're a total insider and you're just looking at super rare, um, every day, then you, you build up this story of what's going on. Who are these characters? Who are these collectors and artists? Um, but having a more written long form um, editorial space for to have those conversations, I think just makes it more fun, more enriching and, and more engaging and kind of elevates the whole space. Um, so check that out. And then 
Also, um, shout out to the Decentraland team. Um, they've been helping us. Uh, they helped us launch our, our the the super rare uh, museum of art uh, is there now. And next Friday, a week from today, um, we're having a party uh, on the rooftop of the museum and launching a show that commemorates uh, the one million dollars earned by artists. So it's called the One Million Dollar Art Show. And it's going to be in Decentraland uh, a week from today, so everybody check that out. And then, cool. yeah, that will be. Hang on, John. I just want to make sure we get the date right because this will come out. Uh, next oh yeah. Week. So it will be Friday the seventeenth. That is correct. Awesome. Cool. We hit everybody. Um, last question then, uh, John. Does the family generally? approve of your mustache has it caused like some sort of rift at all are there like people <laughs> on you know both sides of the table what, what's been like the general feedback yeah i mean it's definitely been you know pretty controversial it's you know a couple weeks ago i tried a scented mustache wax like it did not go over well um and so i'm just you know trying to keep keep everybody neutral uh they've actually <laughs> doubled the amount of social distancing so it's actually a 12 12 foot Mandatory mustache distance. Yeah, it's going strong. I said, you had COVID. The COVID facial hair is real. I mean, I like we said, you gotta, way. you know, follow your passions and uh, and, and have, <laughs> have high conviction for the things you believe in, right? Exactly. What? Yeah, mustache envy is probably uh, the thing he has to watch out for most. <gasps> what what scent was your mustache scent? <laughs> no, no, I'm just teasing. I, I, don't, I don't have any mustache wax, but I was like, oh my god, is that a thing? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it would get it would it would be like too strong. It would probably yeah, get it, it under your nose. It sounds terrible. <laughs> well, yeah. mustache wax entrepreneurs, hit up John. Yeah. Feature uh, hole in the market. <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, guys, I really appreciate you guys coming on and uh, having this fun discussion with me. And uh, we'll certainly let you know when I'm going to drop it and we'll be in touch, I'm sure. Awesome, Rizzle. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much, man. Yeah, Love what you're doing, dude. keep yeah. it up. Thanks, guys. You. Bye. <laughs>